Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Oh, it's so good to be here tonight uh, for the last session on the series on David. I could be uh, sharing it with Ivan as well. Uh, you get to vote at the end on who you thought was better. Don't want to hear the results though, okay? Um, it's actually 10 years this month that uh, Ivan and I went on a, an Indian mission trip together. So if, it feels like there's a special connection between us tonight. That'll be it. 10-year anniversary. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Ivan. <laughs> I better get on with it because I've got, a, I've got 10 minutes each and I want to give him at least five. Okay, um, so I don't know whether we've got the, a picture of uh, David looking out on that next slide. Um, you know, he's a pretty important man in the Bible, and so much so, and so powerful he was, that 62 chapters of the Old Testament are devoted to his biography, and 59 references are made to him in the New Testament. Even Jesus is, of course, called Son of David, due to the lineage from, from David. Um, I'll first of all start off, and I guess we're recapping a little bit on his victories. Um, of course, he was a faithful shepherd, and we know the stories of um, him as a child. He was a musician and a composer of psalms, many of which we, we read regularly. They come up in all sorts of places. He was a fierce warrior on the battlefield, and uh, that was quite incredible. He led his, his troops so well and commanded them well. He served as king for decades, 40 years, and led his people with righteousness, passion, and compassion. He was loved. Uh, all of these things were given to him uh, from the Lord. He had incredible faith, faithfulness and zeal in his faith. People would have been close to correct in thinking that this guy, of all men, has it right. And, uh, yeah, you'd certainly forgive them for thinking that. But, of course, there was a major fall and then huge consequences that followed that. So at 50 years of age, so he'd already been on the throne for 20 years at this point, when he should have been overseeing his troops on the battlefield and, and leading them, David was instead relatively idle at home. And we sort of read about this in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Now one evening he looks out beyond the walls, and uh, you might see the pictures up there. Don't you love the, the biblical representations online? I, I had fun looking for those. I took out the cartoony ones. I thought you're a bit beyond that. Maybe not. I, I realised I wasn't at school. I went, oh, better go with the more sensible ones. So he's looking over the wall and he sees a beautiful woman bathing in the pool nearby. And she was absolutely stunning. Her name was Bathsheba. And uh, David just had to have her. Despite the fact that he already had multiple wives and concubines already, um, I mean, when you've got what's described as a harem, seriously, what else do you need? A harem. Moreover, Bathsheba was, of course, married. I keep saying, of course. You might not know the story, but maybe you do, to a fellow called Uriah. And um, he was in battle for David at the time. So here's David checking out his wife while he's battling for David and Israel. So ultimately, she comes to David upon his request, and they spend the night together. It was pure temptation at a time when he had let his guard down. How many mistakes have you made in moments of weakness? I mean, how do you respond to a cake when it's put in front of you? And you're trying to be good. 
Look, personally, I've stopped trying to be good with cake. It, it, I just eat it. Um, I, I, I've actually found I can linger for too long online on social media or other people's stories. Sometimes it's because there's someone that I like the look of. Sometimes it's because there's a bit of an envy there because they're doing something like a vacation or going overseas or doing something that at this point in time I'm not doing. And sometimes you know, we can feel a little bit bored with our lives at, at any point in time. And it's amazing how we go in and out of patches of, of strength and weakness too. But when we are bored, we're especially vulnerable. And uh, it's amazing when we're bored and vulnerable how at a time of temptation we can forget about God. How? How does that happen, people of faith? You know, Jesus is our cornerstone. We still forget about him. And in this instance with David, um, God becomes a bit distant and unreal. And the lust for pleasure becomes the most real thing for him right at that point. Now, for David, his sin uh, and weakness is not momentary either. It's not just made a mistake, whoops, move on, do something different, don't do that again. Um, at first, his sin was kept quite secret. However, he soon finds, himself, uh, finds out that Bathsheba is pregnant. Now, this would not be a good look for David, of course. You know, you, you've got someone who's built an incredible relationship of trust and faith, faithfulness with the people. And uh, he tries to avoid suspicion by first getting Bathsheba's husband back from the battle he's fighting for, David. He thought, if I get him back and then I quickly get him over to his house, he sleeps with his wife, then the child born, everyone will just think it's Uriah's. What a great idea. But of course, Uriah comes back and he, he's wondering why David has brought him back and he sort of says, oh, Lord, I should be out on the battlefield fighting right now. What, what, what am I here for? I, I, I just want to report from you and I uh, want to know how things are going and all the rest of it. Now go home. But Uriah doesn't go home. He just sleeps outside the palace walls, outside the door and doesn't go anywhere. So this is very frustrating for David. He's going, oh, how am I going to make him sleep with his wife. Sounds like a strange question. Um, when you're covering your tracks, though, it's amazing how things just don't go to plan. You get panicked, you get frustrated. And with his plans not working, David goes further into sin by going, well, my option is maybe if I kill him. And that's what he does. He sends him back to the battle with special arrangements made that he'll go into a part of the battle that he's got no hope of coming out of. So him, and not just Uriah, go into a battle with a bunch of other troops and they all get slaughtered. And of course the message comes back, Uriah is dead. So by that, he tries to make the whole thing plausible that it's all okay by marrying Bathsheba as soon as we find out that Uriah has dead. So now he's guilty of lust, adultery, hypocrisy, deception and murder. And uh, he, David did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, there's so many consequences that came from this and I just want to go through some of those. Off the back of it were major repercussions. Okay, just as David's life was enormously blessed by faithfulness and obedience, uh, so the consequences were severe for this sin. 
We read in Psalm 32, 3 to 4, and Psalm 51, 3 to 4, David described his misery. He has sleepless nights, physical illness, fevers, haunted memories, and a feeling of utter loneliness so far from God. He's understood that this went on for many months as he lived with his sin and deep guilt. Then a friend came to confront him, and it was a visit that David would never forget. Nathan was a prophet, and uh, he's probably up there now, is he, pointing at him? Yeah. David knew him quite well, and God had appointed him with the task of telling the king that he was in sin and he needed to get things right with God. Imagine being given that task. It's kind of like middle management going to the CEO of a business, I guess, and saying, (laughs) you got it wrong, buddy. You need to change what you're doing. Get it right. Come on, change. This isn't good enough. Like, that's the kind of... That's the only thing I could imagine in our world right now that would be equally difficult. Um, Thankfully, God gave Nathan the right words to say, though. Um, He gives him a wonderful parable, which I won't go into now, but David's response was at first in shock, but he quickly falls to his knees and says, I've sinned against the Lord. And this was the start of his repentance, uh, but was in no way the end of consequences for David's sin. Nathan says as a result of David's sin that the the sword shall never depart from your house. So he hears that news. And remember, he's 20, month, 20 years into his 40-year um, reign. So he's actually got a long time to go in his reign with this promise put upon him that the sword shall never depart. So it started with Bathsheba's son dying shortly after. So as of a young baby. Even though God forgives and David knows of God's grace, his sin causes the family to rebel against him. His son sleeps with David's wives. Another son rapes his half-sister, which results in murder of one of the sons. And David ends up abdicating the throne to a son who clearly despises and undermines him as king. And that's Absalom. The nation then falls into war and trouble. What an amazing fall from grace. All because he looked over the palace walls and looked at Bathsheba in that bath that evening. We might just read a little bit from uh, to Samuel there. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. If all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I'll take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. And, of course, that happened. The repentance. David's repentance took quite some time. It took someone else coming in, of course, to point out his sin before he returned to God. He cries out to God in Psalm 51, asking him to return to salvation and live with the joy that he once knew with the Lord. And it's fair to say that after he cries out to the Lord, a rush of relief comes over him. It's like that with us. How many times... uh, 
do we hide away from our sin and go through turmoil only to have a deep sense of relief and love when we confess to our sins and come back into relationship with God? It's also amazing how temptation and sin can override our better judgment. Even when you absolutely know you'd be better off for not sinning, we still do. Even though we know that we are much happier, motivated, free-spirited when we're not in sin, we crave something else sometimes. Sometimes that's often. David learned this the hard way, uh, but through repentance and renewed faithfulness, God's grace was evident in his life following his sin. Just going to read from Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. So that's a major fall for David, and it obviously was an important part of the Bible. It was heralded David as just an incredible king. Uh, At the same time, what an enormous story and learning for us all from David, knowing that a man such so great as him could also fall the way that so many of us do. I'll hand over to Ivan. Thank you, Glenn. Well covered. Did a good job, didn't he? I'm glad you got to do that one, Glenn. (laughs) If it wasn't for Bathsheba, David would have been the perfect man. Do you agree? Probably not. (laughs) But uh, he was an amazing man, David. He was a man after God's own heart. And um, I love, you know, the more you read about David, the more you see what an amazing guy he was. The more you see how close to God he was, the more you see how he could hear clearly from God. And so when he stuffed up, Basically, it hurt. It really hurt him. Eventually. Okay, so two points I want to share with you tonight as we sum up the life of uh, David. And uh, have you enjoyed the series? Yeah. That's been a great series if you can remember it all. But anyway, you can get it on podcast. But uh, the two points I want to bring out tonight is a heart for God prepares us to be used by God. That sums up David. The Spirit of God equips us to do the will of God. That sums up David as well. Mike Murdoch says, The secret to your future is hidden in your daily routine. So what you do today is setting up your tomorrow. Okay, whether it be good or bad, you're setting yourself up for tomorrow, whether you know it or not. It's uh, what you sow is what you reap. That's a biblical principle. You've heard it before. And it is so true. When you get to my age, sometimes you wish you would have done this back then, okay, to maybe things would be different now. But then I, can, I love looking back and thinking, I'm glad I did that way back then because now I get to uh, enjoy what I sowed back then. So um, David set himself up and built his character years before he was chosen as king. As a shepherd boy, he worked hard. He was trustworthy. He was faithful. He was integrous. He, uh, you know, he, he worked with all his heart. He gave it his best, okay? He, he, he didn't just work for a pay packet. His heart lined up with his master's heart. And, and, and that showed. And that's why he was so well known. He knew the importance of lining his heart up with his master's. And that's where his fulfilment came from. He was a worshipper as Glenn said. And uh, he was an amazing worshipper. He set a platform of worship in his life well before he, uh, he stood on any stage. 
His worship was between him and his God, his master. He loved worshipping God. Read some of the Psalms, some of his songs. They're absolutely beautiful, the words that come out. So when King Saul, who was a king back then of Israel, started disobeying God, it says in the Bible that the spirit left him and God had no choice but to find another king. In 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14, it says, The Lord had sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. It was David. And it's a great story. I love this story uh, where David was anointed as king. You can read it in 1 Samuel 16. And uh, I was sharing this with the staff a, a few weeks back. But the Lord said to Samuel, who was a major prophet, now Samuel could really hear from the Lord. It was like he, the Lord was walking with him. That's how clearly he could hear. The Lord said to Samuel, he said, Now I want you to fill your horn up with oil and I want you to go to Bethlehem and I want you to an- find Jesse and I want you to anoint one of his sons. He's got a heap of sons. Find the one. I'll tell you which one to anoint. How much pressure is that? Anointing the next king, knowing that you're here right. And that so, so of course, Samuel goes to um, Bethlehem. He finds Jesse, tells him the story. And I'm, I'm cutting this really short for you guys just to keep you awake. And that's uh, and he finds his first son, which is Eliab. And he and Samuel, like it's funny how he explains him. He says, uh, This has got to be the one. He's tall, he's good looking, he's handsome. Surely he's the one. And I love it's funny what the Lord says to Samuel. Remember, this is about the heart. Hey, don't consider his appearance or height. The Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now that's a rebuking, okay? And that's uh, so Samuel anyway, he says, okay, I got that one wrong. All right, so then he checks out all the other, all the other brothers and he goes through another, all seven of them, okay? And he still hasn't found the right brother and he, and he looks at Jesse and he says surely there's got to be another another one he says oh yeah I've got one more he's out looking after the sheep and uh, so they, he says well go and get him he says we're not going to eat until you bring him back here so they go and get David and they bring him back and um, listen to how they describe David when he walks in he was ruddy it says do you know what ruddy is I didn't know at first but it's fresh or healthy red in colour I'm guessing he was sunburned. Learned a shepherd, he was out there in the sun. But then it says, fine appearance, handsome features. And then the Lord says, rise and anoint him. He's the one. One minute he's rebuking Samuel, saying, hey, don't just look at the looks. And then he, uh, he gives a description of David, and, it's, and it's, he's as handsome as... And the, you know what? The point is, the Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't care what we look like, what we do, okay? If the heart's right, that's what he looks at. You know, my challenge is for myself, for you guys, is what is the Lord wanting to anoint you for? What is he calling you to do? What is he calling you to be king or queen over in your area, in your place? See, I know when I... uh, when I was in business and God interrupted me and, and was calling me into um, ministry. And, uh, like, I, I wasn't this skilled pastor ready, ready to go. 
And I've heard some of you say, ain't that the truth? And that's, <laughs> that's okay, I wasn't. You know, but you know what? The Lord could see that my heart was good. The Lord could see that I loved his church. And I did. I loved the church. And my heart was lined up with the Lord. And the one thing that I remember looking back, if I wasn't baptised in the Spirit, if I wasn't empowered by the Spirit at the time, you know, it would have been really difficult for me to go into ministry because I loved what I did. I loved my work. I loved my business. So that leads me into point two. The Spirit of God equips us to do the will of God. See, after David was anointed, it says that from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. In power. Can any of you vouch for that? Have you ever felt the power of the Holy Spirit on your life? I reckon you have, but you may not realise. It came on him in power from the the moment he was anointed. And the very next verse says, The Spirit departed King Saul because of his disobedience. Which says to me, you know, if, if you want to operate under the Spirit of the Lord to do his will, you know, like, if you don't operate under that Spirit, well, he will find someone else. The Spirit will move on. You know what? The kingdom of God, it keeps moving on. It keeps moving. And then, so if you don't step out, if you're being called to step in and you don't operate under that, under that covering, okay, he'll find the next person. He'll move on. See, when you give your heart to the Lord and you become a Christian, like, you, be, you make a covenant with God. You make a covenant. It's a covenant's described as a divinely ordained relational bond. The covenant's right through the Bible. The covenant of David, the covenant of Moses, the covenant of uh, Israel, covenant of the New Testament. It's right through the Bible. This was put in place by God. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit once we make that covenant with him. And he says, I'll help you, okay? I'll help you. I'll help you do life well. I'll give you power to overcome, to defeat, to rise up, to see what I see, which is big, to see what I see, okay? To have a heart after my own heart. See, without the Spirit, we're powerless to fulfil the role in which God has called us to. But the Spirit helps us to obey God. That's why the Holy Spirit is alive inside you. He wants to show you who you are. He wants to show you your best life. He wants to help you obey God the best you can. So David was in this covenant with God and he operated in it using the Holy Spirit. And that's how he kept ahead of King Saul because King Saul was trying to take him out. But David was always one step ahead of him. He could see ahead of what King Saul was doing. The Holy Spirit was directing him, guiding him, showing him, keeping him ahead. He was the next king. When uh, David um, defeated Goliath, you know, how did he kill Goliath? We think, well, he had a slingshot and stone. But way before the slingshot and the stone, he knew he was in a covenant. He knew Goliath wasn't in the covenant. He knew that uh, he had authority. He knew Goliath didn't have authority. He was seeing in the spirit. He couldn't lose. He knew. So how does the covering of the covenant work? And, that, and let me just give you a little example here. Don't you just chuck me up that umbrella, please. Come up here, Zach. I need your assistance, mate. <laughs> All you got to do is hold this mic. It's not a hard job. Need my mouth, though. 
All right, we'll try. Okay, so the covering, okay? This is, just say this is the Holy Spirit, okay? And no, that's good, Zach. Can I say? <laughs> so, so it's raining outside, okay? We've got our umbrella. And, uh, you know, unless the umbrella's... Oh. <laughs> stay, stay with me, Zach. Stay with me. <laughs> that's all good. We're <laughs> good. We're good. Alright. You still with me? Go on. Mate, only just hanging on. Yeah, no, no, you stay with me, Zach. We'll try. Stay under the covering, mate. Sounds good, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is our example, okay? It's raining outside. We're under a covering. Alright? This is our covering. We're operating under this covering. You know what? It could still be raining outside. We've still got the covering here, alright? And that, but we're not under it. We've still got the covering, okay? We're in the covenant. It's raining outside, but we're not operating under it. So to operate under the covenant is to line yourself up with the Holy Spirit, okay? It's, uh, it's uh, being filled with the Spirit. It's being guided by the Spirit. It's seeing the Spirit move. So we can be under the covering, like in, uh, come on, umbrella, now. let me down there. <laughs> yes, there it is. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) So, we can be under the covering, okay? And it can be raining. We'll never stop the rain coming, but the rain can't get us, okay, because we're under the covering. The Holy Spirit's got our back. So, thanks, Zach. You've done a great job. All good, mate. (laughs) You're still in the covering, mate. Take it with you. (laughs) Did you get what I was saying to you? See, there's no promise. That the storms won't come. You know what? There's no promise that the Goliaths won't come, that the giants won't come. There's no promise to say that you'll be able to stop whatever comes your way in life. But you know what? There is a promise that says that they should never control you, that they should never dictate your life. There's a promise telling you that. So let me find my notes. Where am I up to? Okay, here I am. So the covering... So if they are controlling your life, if they're they're dictating who you are, you've just got to realign yourself back under the covering. Get back in line with the Holy Spirit. You know, I love this verse. I've done damage here. The covering. (laughs) Do it for the Lord. (laughs) I love this verse. And this is uh, David's... um, Words in Psalm 25, 14. The Lord tells his secrets to his followers. He teaches them about his agreement or his covenant. What a beautiful verse. You know, David lived that. Divine thoughts from the Holy Spirit. Insight from the Holy Spirit. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Who wouldn't want that? Why wouldn't you want that? Who doesn't need that? We all need it. Being intimate with the Holy Spirit, knowing who you are, who you're called to be, the life that you're called to live. The Holy Spirit sees it. He goes before you. He's seen your life. He wants you to get in line with Him. In a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity. Well, I'm going to pray over you guys. I might get you all to stand.
I'm going to give you the opportunity. If you want to be anointed tonight, you feel free to come out. See, maybe you're in the covenant and you're not operating, operating under the covenant. Or you're in the covenant and you need the Holy Spirit to give you power to overcome something that's really holding you back, something that you're struggling with, something that you just need that power to get through. Maybe you just want to be anointed for your future. You've all got a brilliant future. You're all called. You're all called to be kings and queens. You know, what do you want to be anointed for? Because the Lord wants to use you in your life. So while I'm praying for you, the guys are going to be singing in the background softly. But I'm going to have the three guys, I'm going to have Mark, Donna and and Jord with oil. These guys aren't going to pray over you. But if you want anointing for your future, just come out and be quickly anointed while I pray for you. Now I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit touches you in a powerful, powerful way tonight. So you can start coming out now if you want to be anointed for your future. So Lord, right now, you see your people, Lord. And uh, Lord, you know their hearts and their good hearts, Lord. So right now for those, Lord, who want to have a great future, Lord, that know who they are in you, Holy Spirit. Touch them now in a powerful way, Lord. Lord, where people are held back, Lord, where the enemy is holding them back, Lord, where the enemy is having a go at them, where the enemy is speaking lies over them. We bind that now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we anoint your people now in the name of Jesus. We anoint them because they have got a great future. That's the truth that you speak over these guys, that their future is bright when they're walking in you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give these guys the eyes to see, the eyes to see what you see, the eyes of their heart. Open the eyes of their heart of Holy Spirit. May they be able to see into their future now. Help them to set up what you uh, call them to do, Lord, that they put things in place now, early in their life, Lord, and in 10, 20 years' time, they won't, won't be able to believe who they are in you, Lord. So I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in your people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that uh, when they start to, to see in you, Lord, they start to see differently, Lord, they start to do differently, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you give them the power to be able to stand up, to step up, Lord, to be faithful servants in you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that uh, as they start to see differently, that they start to put things in place, they start to do things differently, Lord, where they've done things all along, where the enemy has kept them trapped and doing things that they don't even want to do, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, now that because they can see differently, Lord, they will do differently, Lord. So, Lord, I pray now in the name of Jesus. Touch him afresh. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.